Greetings and salivations. Got my pencil sharpened, my new campfire notebooks, and I'm wearing my new dungarees. Let's go back to school. That's the theme on Coolsville this week, School Days. I'm Andy Steves. I have to admit, for me, school was basically a waste of time. With a few small exceptions, school was not a place of whimsical, cherished memories for me. Looking back, I think I got lost schoolastically somewhere in elementary school and I never recovered. I had tuned out. My grade 7 teacher told me I was, quote, stupid and would never amount to anything, end quote. I was bullied and basically just numb. I did have a fun history class with Mr. Finnamore and made a few lifetime friendships. And that's where I learned to make people laugh, a skill I still utilize to this day. For this show, I've chosen anarchy, indignation, soul, romance, and hope for the future. Here's to the ugly ducklings. May they all turn into beautiful swans. School Days on Coolsville. Harper Valley PTA, written by Tom T. Hall. In 1968, it became a major international hit single for country singer Jeannie C. Riley. Riley's record, her debut, sold over 6 million copies as a single, and it made her the first woman to top both the Billboard Hot 100 and the U.S. Hot Country Singles chart with the same song. That's a feat that wouldn't be repeated until Dolly Parton's 9 to 5, 13 years later in 1981. It was also Riley's only top 40 pop hit. She won the Grammy for Best Female Vocal Performance of the Year. The song is about Mrs. Johnson, whose teenage daughter attends Harper Valley Junior High. The girl comes home one day with a note for her mother from the local PTA, criticizing Mrs. Johnson for wearing short skirts and spending her nights drinking in the company of men. The note closes with a statement by the PTA that she should do a better job of raising her daughter. Well, during a PTA meeting that afternoon, Mrs. Johnson barges in unannounced and wearing a miniskirt reveals a long list of the members' private indiscretions. Mrs. Johnson rebukes the PTA for having the nerve to call her an unfit mother, comparing the town to Peyton Place and labeling the members as hypocrites. In the final lines, the narrator reveals that Mrs. Johnson is her mother. The expression, this is just a little Peyton Place, is a reference to the Peyton Place television show, where a small town hides scandal and moral hypocrisy behind a tranquil facade. The show, then in the top 20 of the Nielsen ratings, was in its fourth season when Harper Valley PTA was released. The final line of the song, The Day My Mama Socked It To the Harper Valley PTA, was a reference to Sock It To Me, a very popular catchphrase frequently used in Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In, You Bet Your Sweet Bippy, The Fickle Finger of Fate, and Sock It To Me. They were all Rowan and Martin laughisms. <laughs> According to Shelby Singleton, the producer of Riley's record, this line was changed at the last minute at the suggestion of his wife at the time. In uh, 2005, writer Tom T. Hall noted that he had witnessed a similar scenario when he was a child in Olive Hill, Kentucky. In the mid-40s, the mother of one of Hall's classmates had drawn the ire of local school board members for her modern ways. The school was taking out their frustrations on her daughter. The mother gave a verbal tongue lashing at the school, which was unheard of at the time. 
By the way, Tom T. Hall went on to have a, just a monster country music career, writing songs like Old Dogs and Children and Watermelon Wine and I Remember the Year That Clayton Delaney Died, I Love, stuff like that. Harper Valley PTA later inspired a 1978 motion picture and a short-lived 1981 television series, both starring Barbara Eden. You remember her from I Dream of Jeannie. Barbara Eden was the heroine of the story. Mrs. Johnson now has a first name, Stella. In 2019, Harper Valley PTA by Jeannie C. Riley was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. In the 1970s, Riley became a born-again Christian, and though she briefly distanced herself from the song when she began singing gospel music, she never excluded it from her concerts, and it was always her most requested and popular number. She titled her 1980 autobiography From Harper Valley to the Mountaintop and released a gospel album in 1981 with the same name. I'm Andy Steves. This week on Coolsville, we're taking out and dusting off the old school spirit. Another brick in the wall appears on Pink Floyd's 1979 rock album, The Wall. The song is in 43 parts on the album. During part one, the protagonist, Pink, begins building a metaphorical wall around himself following the death of his father. In part two, traumas involving his overprotective mother and abusive school teachers become literal bricks in the wall. Following a violent breakdown in part three, Pink dismisses everyone he knows as just bricks in the wall. Bassist Roger Waters wrote part two as a protest against rigid schooling, particularly uh, boarding schools. At the suggestion of producer Bob Ezrin, Pink Floyd added elements of disco, which was popular at the time. David Gilmore went to a disco club, thought the music was awful, but took a bit of the sound for the album. While the band members were away, Bob Ezrin edited the takes into an extended version. He also had engineer Nick Griffiths record children singing the verse at Islington Green School, close to Pink Floyd's studio. Alan Renshaw, head of uh, music at the school, was enthusiastic and said later, I wanted to make music relevant to kids, not just sitting around listening to Tchaikovsky. I thought the lyrics were great. We don't need no education. We don't need no thought control. I just thought it would be a wonderful experience for the kids. The children's choir in the recording featured 23 students who practiced for about a week to prepare. According to the producer, when he played the children's vocals to Roger Waters, There was a total softening of his face, and you just knew that he knew it was going to be an important record. And Roger Waters, for his part, said, It was great. Exactly the thing I expected from a collaborator. Our next song is Wonderful World by Sam Cooke. Sam signed with RCA Victor in 1960, Wonderful World was his first success on the chart in over two years. The song was mainly composed by songwriting team Lou Adler and Herb Alpert. You may remember Herb Alpert from the Tijuana Brass. Well, Lou and Herb's version talked that love can even overcome a lack of education. But Sam Cooke revised the lyrics to mention the subject of education more. Fun fact... Background vocals were handed by a group called the Pilgrim Travelers. They consisted of J.W. Alexander, Oopie McKern, and 
Lou Rawls, who would sing on Sam's later hit, Bring It On Home To Me. And Lou Rawls had a huge hit in the 70s called You'll Never Find Another Love Like Mine. You'll never find another love like mine. Wonderful World ended up becoming his biggest hit, we're talking about Sam Cooke, of course, since You Send Me in 1957. The song peaked at number 12 on the Billboard Hot 100, and hit number two on Billboard's Hot R&B chart. Herman's Hermits charted with their recording of the song in 1965, reaching number one in Canada, number four in the United States, and number seven in the United Kingdom, respectively. A remake by Art Garfunkel with James Taylor and Paul Simon charted at number 17 in 1978. The Sam Cooke version was featured in the 1978 film Animal House and gained greater recognition in the UK upon a 1986 re-release when it peaked at number two on the UK singles chart going gold. There is no known footage of Sam Cooke performing the song even though in 1986 ABCO Records president Alan Klein offered $10,000 reward for anyone obtaining such footage. In 2004, the song placed 373rd in Rolling Stone magazine's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time. We said that Herman's Hermits had a major hit in the mid-60s with an up-tempo version of the song. The Hermits version was, according to singer Peter Noon and guitarist Keith Hopwood, done as a tribute to Sam Cooke, who died in 1964. In an interview with Hugh Brown prior to a 2020 concert in Edinburgh, Noon recalled that Jimmy Page, later founder of Led Zeppelin, played guitar on the track and was paid a meager 12 pounds. In 1978, Art Garfunkel recorded the song at a slow tempo with Paul Simon and James Taylor alternating as lead and background vocalists. This reached number 17 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 and number 15 on Cashbox. The Garfunkel version also became a number one U.S. adult contemporary hit for five weeks. Despite Paul Simon's presence on the recording, the song was not credited as a Simon and Garfunkel single. Instead, labels for U.S. copies of the Columbia Records single read Art Garfunkel with James Taylor and Paul Simon. A, B, C, easy as one, two, three. Of course, we're talking about the Jackson Five. The group was founded in 1964 in Gary, Indiana, and for most of their career consisted of brothers Jackie, Tito, Jermaine, Marlon, and Michael. They were managed by their father, Joe Jackson. The Jackson Five performed in talent shows and in clubs. In 1968, they left Steel Town Records and signed with Motown. They were the first group to debut with four consecutive number one hits on the Billboard Hot 100 chart with the songs I Want You Back, ABC, The Love You Save, and I'll Be There. They also achieved 16 top 40 singles on the chart. The Jackson 5 have sold more than 100 million records worldwide. In 1980, the brothers were honored with a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame as the Jacksons. They were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1997. Two of the band's recordings, ABC and I Want You Back, are among the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's 500 songs that shaped rock and roll, and alongside I'll Be There, also inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. Michael Jackson was five when the group started, meaning that when ABC was a hit, he was 10 years old. ABC was released as a single in 1970. 
The song knocked the Beatles' Let It Be off the top of the uh, Billboard Hot 100 in 1970 and was number one on the Soul single chart for four weeks. ABC was performed on television on American Bandstand, The Ed Sullivan Show, The Flip Wilson Show, among many other broadcasts. The upbeat lyrics compare learning to love to learning the alphabet. It was nominated for the Grammy Award for Best Pop Performance by a Duo or Group with Vocals in 1971. Hey, and you know, 50 Cent said that that was the first song he ever remembered hearing. I've always loved Michael Jackson, so I guess it was probably a good place to start music. Right there with the ABCs. On November 7, 2016, ABC was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. Our next performer is Janice Ian. You might not know Janice. She had two really big hits in her career. She was born in 1951. She's a singer-songwriter, commercially successful in the 1960s and 70s. Her signature songs are the 1966 hit Society's Child, Baby I've Been Thinking. It was a song before its time, racially speaking. The 1975 top 10 single, At 17, came from her LP, Between the Lines, which in September 1975 reached number one on the Billboard album chart. Critics have regarded At 17 as a kind of a geek anthem, which earned Ian the Grammy Award for Best Female Pop Vocal Performance and Grammy nominations for Record and Song of the Year. The single reached number three on the Billboard Hot 100 chart and has sold over a million copies as of 2004. It was considered her signature song. At 17 has been used frequently in television and films like The Simpsons and Mean Girls. Various recording artists and musicians, including Anita Kerr, Jan Arden, and Celine Dion, have covered At 17. The song was written by Janice Ian at the age of 23. She was inspired to write the single after reading a New York Times article about a young woman who thought about her life and how it would improve after a debutante ball and her subsequent disappointment when it did not improve. She was uncertain about writing about high school when she had never experienced a homecoming or a prom. To write the song took her three months and at the time she was living with her mom. At 17 is a song about being a social outcast in high school, adolescent cruelty and rejection. The lyrics focus on the conflict between cliques. The song opens with the line, I learned the truth at 17 that love was meant for beauty queens. The narrator reveals in the third verse that she finds herself unattractive, those of us with ravaged faces, but later provides a more hopeful outlook, ugly duckling girls like me. The pain in this song is huge. For those of us who knew the pain of Valentine's that never came, and those whose names were never called in choosing sides for basketball. Get you right in the feels. Time can heal the wounds of the past. I am grateful for my life these days. Got a great helpmate, a geriatric cat, and a place to work where I can sing and be goofy. What more could you ask for? Thanks for listening to this week's show. Please hit the follow button and leave a comment or suggestion for future shows. It'd be greatly appreciated. And if you're on my Facebook, would you please share the show? Thanks to Upbeat for their royalty-free music. May God richly bless you and yours. I'm Andy Steves for Coolsville. Have a great week. Coolsville.